Well, good morning. I appreciate you uh, being here today. I want to say good morning to our Mill Creek campers, those who are watching online, those who are watching by TV. And uh, thank you for being here today. I really, really am in a great mood today, believe it or not. The only thing that really bugged me about yesterday was last night, uh, Teresa hid my cyanide pills. And uh, other than that, I was in great shape. But, you know, according to the uh, International Movie Database, Denzel Washington is the 10th greatest actor of all time. I don't know how you measure those things, but I'll tell you, for me, he is my favorite actor. He has starred in some of the most memorable films of the last 30 years. And Denzel's one of those guys, when he makes a movie, I'm going to go see it. And although it has a terribly sad ending, one of my favorite Denzel movies is Man on Fire. And one of the reasons why I like it, I like movies that are based on true stories. And this is based on a true story of a, a bodyguard who was protecting a little girl. And he really got close to this girl emotionally. And she gets kidnapped. And so he literally gives his life getting her back to her parents. But throughout the movie, he has to do terrible things to people to make them give him the clues that he needs to go find this girl and, and rescue this girl. So there's this one particular scene where uh, a man is strapped to the back of a car with a bomb. And he puts him on a stopwatch. He's got a stopwatch. And he lets him know, look, you've only got a short time, amount of time to tell me what I need to know. Well, when the man finally gives up the information that he needs, Denzel Washington gathers up all of his things and starts to walk away. And the man says, well, wait, 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 where, where are you going? And he says, well, I've, I've got things to do. I've got places to go. And, and so the man very desperately says, um, last wish, please. Last wish. And then Denzel Washington says this. Last wish. I wish you had more time. I love that part. I just love that part of the movie. I wish you had more time. By the way, he didn't have any left, but here's the funny thing. The funny thing is, the longer you live, the more you find yourself saying that. At the turn of the 20th century, there was a poem that was published by a man named Henry Twells. It was entitled, Time's Paces. That's a very short poem about time, but its message is timeless. This is what he wrote. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I waxed more bold, time strolled. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I daily grew, time flew. Soon I shall find in passing on, time gone. Boy, that's so true. You know, one thing we all know is this, time matters. See, you're giving me the most valuable thing you have to give me right now. You're giving me your time. You could have been anywhere else doing anything else, but you're giving me your time. I don't take that for granted. And to, in fact, today, time matters more than it ever has. But here's this amazing thing. Time has not always mattered. Believe it or not, there was a time when our country that nobody cared about time. There was a time in our country when time just wasn't that big a deal. Before the invention of the railroad and the locomotive, time didn't matter to anybody. But when the railroad was built, all of a sudden, trains had to run on time. And all of a sudden, time was moved to the top of everyone's priority list. So people began to say things that we say today they had never heard before. Things like, time's wasting. 
Time's up. Are the trains leaving the station? Those kind of things begin to be heard all over the country. You know, we now have standard time because of the railroads. You say, why is that? Well, before the railroads, everybody set their own time. For example, go back 200 years. Duluth could say it was 4 o'clock. Swanee could say it was 4.30. Snellva could say it was 4.45. Everybody just kind of made up their own time. It didn't matter because, because back then there was no reason to really keep time. But then railroads were invented, and they began to publish schedules. So for the first time in 1883, our country was divided up into four different time zones. And all of a sudden, time became very, very important. It moved to the top of everybody's priority list, and the importance of time has increased exponentially since then. I went back, this, this, I love to study history, and this never ceases to amaze me. If you lived in 1790, less than 10% of Americans had ever seen a clock. Less than 10% of Americans had a clock. And the vast majority of those that had clocks, the clocks didn't even have, didn't even have minute hands. They just kept time by the hour. Until the end of the 19th century, no one knew what an alarm clock was. Until the end of the 19th century, nobody had ever seen a wristwatch. Boy, look at what, where we are today. Computers, satellites, global positioning systems, receivers, telephone switching systems, all depend to a precise, down to the very second measure of time just to operate. Now, if you're a guest of ours today, we have been in a series in the book of Ephesians that we've been calling Unbelievable. Because what the book of Ephesians tells us basically is two things. We worship an unbelievable God who has done other unbelievable things for us. He created us. He's called us. He wants to convert us. He wants to complete us. And he has a tremendous plan for our lives. He's done great things for us. But then it tells us he wants to do great things in us. And this is where time comes in. Because don't you think about this. There are only two dimensions that God can use us in. There are only two dimensions where God can work in and through us, time and space. So you live for God right here, and you live for God right now. And the Bible says that when you die, you go to a place where there is no space. You go to a place where there is no time. That's why in our life, the time is always now. We've got to say, time is money. You know, you've heard that say, time is money. Well, time's more than that. You know what time really is? Time is life. Because when your time is up, your life is over. So time really is life. That is why the most important use of your time is spending your time on what's most important. The most important use of your time is spending your time on what is most important. Now, here's the great news. God's not put us on this earth, taking his hands off the steering wheel, and said, okay, James, you kind of get, you just have to figure out on your own what's the best way to spend your time. What is the best way to live your life? No, God's done us all a big favor. He's given us specific advice on the best way to use every day and to get the, get the best out of every moment. 
Now, we've been giving out these little booklets, if you brought one, it's called The Year of the Disciple, and we've been putting these scripture verses in this little book, and, 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 and if you've got this little book with you, we're on page 34 of this book. You can take notes there. If not, that's all right. We're going to throw the verses up on the screen, but I want to go to Ephesians 5, and I want to share with you what a man by the name of Paul said to us on what is the best way to make use of the time we have on this earth. Here's what he said. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, what was he talking about? He's talking about time. There was a lady by the name of Anna Nalick. She said, life is like an hourglass that is glued to the table. Now, I'm going to turn this hourglass, and it literally is an hourglass. I'm going to turn that hourglass over. And I want you to think about something that the great philosopher Kenny Chesney said. Kenny Chesney said this, when your hourglass runs out of sand, you can't turn it over and start again. So true. When you're, and by the way, the moment you're born, the hourglass is running. The sand is going through the glass. So I want you, as I begin to speak this morning, I want you to focus on this glass. And here's what I want you to see. This is not an hourglass. Right now, this is your life. Now, some of us have less time in the sand than others. Some of us have more sand in the glass than others. And some of us don't have nearly as much sand left as we think we do. For some of us, your sand will be out by next year. We don't know. So I want you to think about this hourglass, and I want you to focus on this life, because there's only a certain amount of sand. And when the sand is gone, time is up. When time is up, life is over. So the time is now. Therefore, since the time is now, here's what Paul tells us. He says, be careful in how you see time. Be careful in how you see Time. Now remember, life is time, time is life. No matter what circumstance of life you're in right now, listen to this, you're living literally the time of your life right now. You're living the time of your life. So Paul gives this great advice. Listen to what he says. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So Paul says, there's only two ways you can spend your time. You can spend it wisely or unwisely. There are only two ways you can live, wisely or unwisely. And it all begins on how you see time. So how do you see time? All over the world and on every continent, you can count on one person asking another person at some point in time this question. What time is it? You'll get to ask that all the time. Hey, what do you have the time? What time is it? Now, if you're careful in how you see time and wise in how you spend time, you'll understand, oh, what time is it? It's now. Time's always now. Now, here's the good news for all of us. God doesn't play favorites. God gives the same type of day to everybody. Every day has 24 hours. Rich people don't get 25 Poor people don't get 23. We all get the same amount of time. I've got a buddy of mine, very successful businessman. I mean, 
uber successful. So I was with him a, a few years ago, and uh, we were in a restaurant, and I, was, I noticed he was wearing this very unique watch. And I, I, I won't call, I'll just call him John. I won't call his real name. I said, John. I said, I, I've never seen a watch like that. He kind of smiled. He said, well, there's not a lot of watches like that. And I said, well, how much did that watch cost? It, it, listen, listen, six figures. That watch cost him six figures. He said, you know, he said, there are only 12 watches that are made like this in the world every single year. I couldn't believe it. And it wasn't about two months later, I was in the home of Dr. Billy Graham. Billy Graham, the worldwide, you know, famous evangelist, preached the gospel to more people than to anybody who ever lived. And I never will forget, I was sitting in a chair and Dr. Graham came into the room, in his living room, and he sat down next to me and I happened to notice his watch. I guarantee you, it was a Timex that didn't cost more than 10 bucks. And I got to think about that other guy's, you know, $200,000 watch, and I thought, you know what? That guy doesn't have any more time than he does. They both have the same amount of time every single day. Hey, have you ever said to someone that's retired something like this, man, I wish I had as much time as you do. Well, if you did, you wouldn't have any more time you got right now. We all have the same amount of time. And so Paul says, since we all have the same amount of time, we better be wise and careful in how we see it and how we spend it. Now, some of you do this when I'm preaching, so I'm going to give you a chance to do it right now, and it's not going to bother me. Look at your watch. Go ahead right now. Look at your watch. That watch ought to remind you of what a precious gift time is. Every day is a gift wrapped up in the platinum of God's love. Every second is a diamond. Every minute is an emerald. Every hour is a ruby. And this is how valuable time is. Time can't be stopped. You know, in a football game, you can call time out. You can't call time out in life. Time can't be stored. You know, they say time is money. No, time is not money. It's not even like money. You can put money in the bank. You can't put time in the bank. Time can't be stretched. You can stretch a rubber band, but you can't stretch time. It can only be spent, and it has to be spent. And just as a wise person handles money wisely, a wise person handles their time wisely. Are you doing that? Moses, the first great Jewish leader, wrote one of the Psalms in the Old Testament. Here's what he said. He said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know what he was saying? If you're wise, you'll number your days because your days are numbered. And you don't know when your number is going to be up. So you better make sure that every day you're doing that which is most important. And in a moment, we're gonna see exactly how to do that. But since the time is now, not only should we be careful in how we see time, Paul says, be mindful of how you seize time. Be careful in how you see it. Be mindful in how you seize it. Now, here's what he's gonna tell us. Once you see time, the way you ought to see time every day of your life, then you'll seize time the way you ought to seize time every day of your life. What does that mean? He tells us, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
Now, there's a Latin phrase that we hear all the time, and it's really the same thing that Paul was saying there. It's called carpe diem. You know what that, somebody tell you, what does that mean? Seize the day. That's what, exactly what Paul was saying. Seize the day. Paul said, be mindful in how you spend every day because the time we have today can only be used today. You know, I hear people all the time, and I do the same thing. We talk about saving time. We talk about borrowing time. Uh, we talk about making time. Can I, can, I hate to tell you this. You can't do any of those things with time. You can't save time. You can't borrow time. You can't make time. But whatever time you use today is gone forever. The time that you use today, uh, that you don't use today, can't be carried over until tomorrow. That's why I want you to focus on what Paul said we ought to do every day of our lives. Here's what Paul said. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, let me tell you why that's so, let me tell you why that's so brilliant. Because every single day, what you face in your life is this, Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. So last night we celebrated my granddaughter's birthday and she wanted to go to this steakhouse. We took her to a steakhouse last night. We had a lady that waited on us. I took the opportunity to say to her, how can I pray for you tonight? I could have said nothing. I could have just ordered my meal. But that's not the best use of time, even in that situation. Make the most of every opportunity. And that gets to the heart of this verse in a very good way. But a, but a more literal and better translation is this. Make the best use of time. Make the best use of the time. Now, what I did, I put those two translations together. And I just want to show you in one simple sentence what is the best way to make every day the best day that you can. Here's how you do it. You make the best use of time by making the most of every opportunity. That's how you do it. Now, I really do believe that most of us have a desire to make the best use of our time, and I believe that gets truer as we get older. However, let's be honest, most of us don't do that. That phrase, making the most of every opportunity or making the best use of time, is actually an accounting term in the Greek language. And what Paul is saying is, look, you only have a certain amount of time. And God wants you to get the biggest bang out of your buck. God wants you to get the full value out of your time. He wants you to get the biggest bang for the buck in every minute you live. And the way you do that is keep two words in mind. Time, opportunity. Time, opportunity. Time, opportunity. Uh, in ancient Greece, one of my favorite places to go is Athens. I love to go to Athens, Greece. Well, they said back in the day, there were statues everywhere. As a matter of fact, one writer said, if you walked into Athens 2,000 years ago, there were more statues than there were people. Can you imagine that? They loved statues. Well, there was this one statue right in the middle of the city square, and it was called Opportunity. And it was a vivid illustration of how opportunity works in our lives. This statue is no longer there, but this statue had a person uh, who had long flowing hair in the front of his face, but he was completely bald in the back. And, and, and the message of the statue was this. When opportunity is coming towards you, you can grab it. But if you let it pass you, you can never grab it again. That's what time is. That's what every day is. Every day you've got an opportunity today to do your best, 
to be your best, to speak your best. As a matter of fact, the English word I was fascinated, the English word opportunity comes from a Latin phrase, two words, ob portu. Ob, you can hear the word, opportunity, ob portu. In the days before modern harbors, ships would, would have to wait until the flood tide would come in so they could get into the port. Otherwise, they, they would run aground. So the Latin phrase ob portu referred to that moment in time when the captain said, okay, it's high tide, now we can go in. So the captain would wait for that window of opportunity to open, and if he missed it, he couldn't dock the ship. He had to wait until another tide would come in. That's where we get that word opportunity. When you make the most of every opportunity, you're making the most of your time. When you seize opportunities, you seize the day. Then the word for time that Paul uses is also kind of fascinating because we have one word for time in the English language, time. That's our word. The Greeks had two words. One word was chronos or chronos. We get the word chronology from that. That refers to, to the time right now, clock time or calendar time. And, and, and it's, it's sequential. You got past, you got present, you got future. That time's always moving in one direction. Direction. That's what we've invented as human beings. We've invented chronos time. So I'm on Eastern time. You're on Rocky Mountain time. I'm on Pacific time. It's that, that time that's always passing. It's how we measure time. But Paul is gonna tell us that's not how God measures time. Because remember, God exists outside of time. You know, you can put me on the, I mean, I'm on the clock right now, right? I can't preach five hours. You gotta go, I gotta go. I'm on the clock. You can't put God on the clock. He doesn't have a clock. God doesn't wear an eye watch. I don't know how he gets along without it, but he doesn't. Time's outside of his, he doesn't, he doesn't even think about time. And that's why Paul does not use the word chronos. That's not what he's talking about. The word he uses is the word kairos. You say, well, what's the difference between chronos and kairos? Kronos says, hey, it's 10.07 or 11.07 or 12.07. Kronos says it's this amount of, this time. Cairo says this is an opportune time. This is a time to do what you need to do. And God wants us to understand that no matter what time you may think it is, the time is always now. So in other words, the time is now to say the right word. The time is now to do the right thing. The time is now to live the right way. Last week, I preached on bitterness. And I preached on forgiveness. And God touched so many people's hearts. I can't even tell you the emails and the testimonies and, 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 and the people that came up to me weeping and crying and saying, you know what? I cannot tell you how that message blessed me. I got rid of my bitterness. I got rid of my guilt. I'm making that phone call. I'm writing that letter. I'm going to see that person. That's why wasting time is wasting life. That's why killing time is killing life. Listen, you don't kill time. Time kills you because time is life. And when you're killing time, you're killing yourself. You're just committing suicide minute by minute. That's why I want to say it again. It is important that you spend your time on what is most important. Now, I don't know what that is specifically for you on a given day. You don't know what that is specifically for me on a given day. But I do know generally what it is for all of us. And I'm saving the best for last because now Paul tells us something that we must do and something we will do if 
if you want to live a life that when you look back on it will have a minimum of regrets, if you want to live a life in such a way that you can look back on that life and say, well, I wasn't perfect and I made some mistakes, but by and large, I believe God is going to be pleased with the life that I live. If you would sit there and you'd say, man, that's what I want. I, I want to look back. I want to see a life well lived. I want to see time well spent. Then Paul says the best for last. He says, okay, here's how you do it. You ready? Be purposeful in how you spend time. Be purposeful in how you spend time. Now, the ball's in your court. Simple question, whatever time you have left, whatever life you have left, how are you going to live it, wisely or foolishly, carefully or carelessly? You say, well, what's the difference? How do I know the difference? Well, Paul begins the next statement with the word Therefore, right? So in other words, he's saying, all right, based on what I've told you, now here's what you need to do. In light of the fact that we need to see time the way we ought to see time, that we ought to seize time the way we ought to seize time, then he says this, therefore, do not be foolish. Foolish in what way? In the way you live your life and the way you spend your time. Don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. So in three words, Paul said, I'm going to tell you what you better be doing every single day of your life if you're going to live the kind of life with a minimum of regrets. If you're going to look back in your life and say, man, my, my life was well spent. My time was well managed. He said, if you're going to do that, here's how you're going to do it. It has to be doing the Lord's will. So in other words, real simply put, the wise way to live is inside the will of God. The foolish way to live is outside the will of God. And by the way, this is a command. It's not a request. It's a command. So whatever God commands you to do, the good news is God will give you the ability to do. So when Paul says, understand what the Lord's will is, you know what he just said? You can't understand it. You, you can know what God's will is for your life. Because think about this, if God has a will for your life and God has a will for my life and if God wants us to live that will, then it stands to reason that God wants to reveal his will to us. See, some people think that God plays games with his will. He doesn't. He doesn't play hide and seek. He doesn't say Marco and you say Polo. That's not the way God reveals his will. And, and, and so here, here's where it's going to get a little uncomfortable. Because I know a lot of you out there go, man, I, I, I want to know God's will for my life, and I, I want to do God's will for my life. Do, do you really mean that? Oh, yeah, I really mean it. Well, let's see if you do or not. Because frankly, most of what God's will is for all of us has already been revealed. God's already told us in this book what his will is. So what do you mean? Every command in the Bible that is applicable to us, I know it's God's will for me to obey that command. Every promise in the Bible that applies to us, 
I know it is God's will for me to believe that promise. So I'm going to give all of us just a few specific examples of God's will. Okay? So here's one. I know it is God's will for us to live pure. I know it's God's will for us to stand pure. How do you know that? Paul tells Here's what the Bible says, what Paul says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? That you should avoid sexual immorality. So I know adultery is out of God's will. I know that. I know that living together apart from marriage is out of God's will. I know that. I know that homosexuality is out of God's will. I know that. I know that all sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is outside the will of God. That's not what I said. That's what Paul said. Now, you may not like that. You may not agree with that. You may not be living that, but that is God's will. It is God's will that we stand pure. I also know it's God's will that we share Jesus. So how do you know that? Because we're told in God's word, God wants that it is the will of God. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I know that's God's heart. It is God's will, his perfect will, that all people be saved. Well, how are people saved? By hearing the gospel. But they're not gonna hear the gospel if we don't share the gospel. So I know it's God's will for me to be sharing Jesus. Here's another one. You ready for this? It is God's will that we stay thankful all the times. He says this, give thanks in all circumstances. Even when you're walking out of a stadium yesterday <laughs> and you're thinking of all the bad words you've never said in your life, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And listen, I've just, I, I barely scratched the surface. I could go on and on and on. It is God's will that you support God's work financially. That's the will of God. It is the will of God that we make known the gospel. You know, just a minute ago, we received an offering. I want you to think about this. Do you know what that basket represented this morning? Yeah, it represented the fact that you wanted my money. Nope, that's not what it represented. That basket was an opportunity for you to invest in God's work. That's what it was. Now, whether you choose to do that or not, between you and the Lord, that's okay. But here's the point I want to make, and it goes right to the heart of this sermon. If you don't like to give, and some of you don't because you don't give, you're going to really love it when you die because there are no offering baskets in heaven. There are no offerings taken in heaven. Nobody's ever going to ask you to give a dime to God's work in heaven. I'm going to say something that's real hard. If this makes you mad, you apologize. I will forgive you. If that makes you happy, you better check your heart. If you say, boy, if that's true, I can't wait to get to heaven, you may not get there. And if you do, you may not enjoy it. Because this is exactly what Paul's talking about. Seize the opportunity. Every time you get a chance, God says, when that offering basket's passed, I'm giving you an opportunity to do something you'll never get to do again the minute you die, an opportunity to invest in God's work. We could go on and on and on. But I know what some of you are thinking around you. say, well, wait a minute. How about all those areas that, that are not specifically mentioned in the Bible? I mean, how about this difficult decision I've got to make right now, and I don't really know what to do? And I've been thinking about it and praying about it and I'm trying to get a word from God. How about those difficult decisions I've got to make day to day in my, in my life? How do you determine God's will 
then, okay, here we go. Two questions are always involved in finding God's will for your life. Two questions. One is our question. One is God's, okay? Here's our question. Our question is, God, what do you want me to do? Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you at least one time in the last six months have asked that question? Just hold your hand up. Okay, I have too. God, what do you want me to do? Okay, that's our question. But then God has a question. And here's his question. Well, will you do what I want you to do? Okay, our question is, God, what do you want me to do? God says, okay, but, but, but will you do what I want you to do? All right, now, what's this. Here's what a lot of us do. We, play, we try to play a game with God. You know what that game's called? You go first. I tell you what, you tell me what you want me to do, and then I will decide if I want to do it. But it's just one little problem. You know what that problem is, right? God doesn't go first. God's light will stay red till your light turns green. So you say, God, what do you want me to do? God says to you, you tell me if you'll do it, and then I'll tell you what ideas. Well, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to tell you either. If you, you want to be on your own, you'll be on your own. Well, this, we're not going to play that way. So here's what God does. The minute you give your life to Christ, you become a follower of Jesus, God has a blank page. And every day you get up, there's this blank page. And all God wants us to do every morning is sign our name at the bottom of the page, then he fills in the details. And once you sign your name, he says, okay, now I'll tell you. Because here's why. For some of you, in light of what I just said, it may mean you need to move out of that house with that person you're living with you're not married to. For some of you, it may mean that you need to hang in that marriage and stay with that wife or that husband even if you don't want to. For some of you, it may mean taking another job or refusing another job. But the point I want to make you understand is this. You've got to commit beforehand that you're going to do what God wants you to do. You know why I'm here right now? You know why I'm doing what I'm doing right now? Because I had to get on my knees in my college apartment one week before I graduated from college. When I'm going to law school, I've, been, I've already passed the LSAT. I got the grades. I can go anywhere I want to go. But it wasn't until I got on my knees in my apartment in that college and I said, Lord, I do not want to go into the ministry. You know I do not want to do this. But if you want me to go, I'll go. And it was at that moment the peace of God that passes all understanding came into my heart. That's how you know the will of God. See, here's the point. It is only when you're doing what you know you ought to be doing today that you can know God's will for tomorrow. I mean, you think about it. Let's say there's an area of your life right now where you know you're living outside the will of God. You know you're disobeying God. You know you're not right with God in this area of your life. All right, let me ask you a question. Think about this. Why in the world would God tell you what you, want, what you need to do tomorrow if you won't even do what you know he wants you to do today? God says, no, that's not the way it works. So let's just get real practical. Look at your financial life. Look at your marital life. Look at your social life. Look at your sexual life. Look at your moral life. Look at your ethical life. And let me ask you a question. Are there any of those areas in your life right now where you know you're not following God's will for you? Yes, there is. Then don't expect God to tell you later when you're not even doing what you ought to do today right now. 
God will give you all the time he wants you to have to live the life he wants you to live. God will give you all the time he wants you to have to live the life he wants you to live. See, here's what I've learned. There's enough time in every day to do everything that God wants you to do and do it well. Now, I'll tell you this. I learn this all the time. There will never be enough time in any day for you to do what you want to do. Never. That day's not going to come. I'm just telling you right now. I promise you, if you've got a halfway productive life, there will be things on your to-do list you won't get done. That's okay. That just means those are not the things. If you're, if you're living the way you ought to live, well, God didn't want me to get those things done today. But if you're doing the most important things in your life, God will give you the time to do it. So let me just make it real practical. Yes, sir, you do have time to read your Bible every day. Yes, you do. Yes, ma'am, you do have time to spend with God in prayer every day. Yes, you do. Yes, sir, you do have time to write that thank you note to that person that you've been meaning to, but you hadn't done it for six years. Yes, sir, you do have the time to do that. You have all the time to do what God wants you to do. So let me just kind of wrap this up. How many of you saw the movie, The Lord of the Rings? A lot of you did. I ought to see it. Great movie. Well, if you don't remember the story, there's this journey. It's a terrible journey that Frodo Baggins has to take to Mount Doom. And he's got this faithful hobbit friend uh, his name is Samwise Gamgee. You remember Samwise Gamgee? And he's with him. Well, Frodo's got this ring, and it's a terrible ring. It's a powerful ring, but, but it hasn't done anything but just cause trouble, and it's just full of evil, and he knows he's got to throw it away, and he's got to make this decision. And he's been through so much, and he's emotionally exhausted, and there's just this big part of him, he doesn't want to give up the ring because the ring has all the power, and the ring can give him the ability to do things that nobody else can do. But there's another part of him that knows, I've got to give up this ring. I've got to do it. So he's talking to Gandalf, and they're having this dialogue. And he's saying to Gandalf, I, I don't want to give the ring up. And Gandalf's saying, but you have to do, the, you have, you've got to do this. And then finally, there's this scene where Gandalf gives him this piece of advice. And I want you to listen to the very last sentence that he says to Frodo. Listen to this. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Do you hear that last sentence? He says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. I mean, that's so true. David Cassidy the famous actor, the heartthrob at one time. You're young enough to remember. He was the teenage heartthrob. Partridge family. Remember David Cassidy? When he died, his daughter was with him. When I read this in USA Today, I, I teared up. I, I just It broke my heart. Do you know the last words David Cassidy said to his daughter with his last breath? So much wasted time. Think about that. How would you like that to be the last words that come out of your mouth? How would you like for that to be the evaluation of the life that you lived on this earth? How would you like to, that, that to be the accounting ledger with time on it? This is how you spent your time. So much wasted time. 
So here's my message to all of us. Time, it is very, very short. Eternity, it is very, very long. And what you do with your time in this life will determine the eternity you spend in the next life. And any time you spend with Jesus, as any time you spend without Jesus as the Lord of your life is totally wasted time. Because you only have one life. And it will soon be passed. But only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together.